This is Dan Rockwell, and I'm the Leadership Freak. You're listening to the Labrador Leadership Podcast with Bob Nolly. Well done, sir. Live from the RVA, this is the Labrador Leadership Podcast with Dr. Bob Nolly. The program that brings you the leadership skills that can make you the most authentic, approachable leader for the sake of your business, your team, and for you. Now, here's Bob. They're back, they're back, they're back. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming home once again. Come on in here. Welcome to the Labrador Leadership Podcast. Alex, how you doing there? I'm great. I missed you guys. Oh, my goodness. We missed you, too. Everybody misses you. Oh. You're not getting any calls. People aren't calling you going, where's Bob? People are calling me going, where's Alex? <laughs> oh, stop. No. They love you. They love you. Blushing. Hey, so well, yeah, well, you can't see that. That's for sure. So how's the summer going? We're like at the midpoint of the summer. We've gotten through the 4th of July and, you know, Wimbledon and all that and the all-star break and things. You know, I'm so used to kind of being so sweaty and, and uncomfortable and, and swimming at the river. But, you know, it doesn't feel like, like it doesn't feel like summer. You know, I'm not, it's not like I'm on summer vacation from school anymore. You know, I'm, I'm a... I'm, you know, doing a, doing a nine to five, having my weekends. Um, but yeah, no, it's going well. You know, it's, it's, it's summertime. So everybody leaves their house a lot more. Everybody gets a lot less done, but you know, I'm, I'm working through it. So, uh, you know, we've talked about the, our different generations and over, over the years, you know, none eat the turn of the page, the turn of the calendar just really never bothers me. There have been some points in the past, some a long, long time ago. That really kind of struck me and caught me. And one was when I graduated from college from Virginia and started working, my sister, who I love dearly, who now has a, a huge family now and is creating her own successes. And she's only, you know, like eight years younger than me. So I'm working in the job and, you know, starting the career. She comes to me and she goes, when do you get off work for the summer? <laughs> And I remember just laughing so hard because she just didn't see that. You know, she thought everybody got off work for the summer. Oh, go to Europe, dear. Maybe that's where they take off long holidays there. But, yeah, we don't do that. We don't do that. So now we sit here, you know, in the south. You remember this. Here we are in the middle of July or thereabouts, depending on when you're listening to this. It's still right now. Today is the middle of July, no matter when you're listening to this. Uh, And it's always the lawn. Everybody tries to have the lush lawn in the neighborhood, you know, <laughs> all of that stuff going on, particularly in the spring. They're at their feeding and weeding and, and, you know, mowing and trimming and, you know, everything just looks. And, but in, in down here in the South, all of a sudden you get to mid July and the drought has taken over and it goes to Brown. And everybody just goes, okay, we, we did as long as we could. We have gotten so much rain here. Really? It is so, it is still the middle of spring lush green around here. So still in the spring, I have to mow like every four days. I still have to mow like every five or six days now. The grass just keeps coming back. Oh, my God. People are going, Bob, get to the point. We're listening here. I don't give a damn about your lawn. Well, okay, never mind. But that it's, it's raining. It is the middle of the summer. You said that's right. It doesn't feel like the summer. And I was like piling in with that. So during a quiet moment here, and when I stop talking, I do have quiet moments. I... uh. I kind of like went back through the Rolodex, through the flip file, the mental card box of 
all the episodes we've done. And and I remember that discussion we had, and it was a good one, when we talked about uh, the book Quiet and the difference between introverts and extroverts. And uh, I think we were rallying around an important point back when we talked about that. And just as I stopped and give that, gave that some thought, like a good researcher does, uh, I found I found another article on that. And directly related to leadership. And uh, Carl Moore, thank you, Carl, writing for Forbes, and we'll link this article up in the show notes, uh, talks about ambidextrous leadership. And you know what you and I are going to do? We're going to create our own leadership and come up with a cool name and just come up with a theory behind it because that's what we do. But Carl's come up with what he calls ambidextrous leadership. Guess what that means? Well... Probably balancing being what an introvert and an extrovert. Well, yeah. Actually, I wanted you to say something like, "Yeah, I smack people around with your left hand and your right hand." But you were right, of course. Sorry, you I'm know, sorry. you're right. I should have right. gone violence. I don't know what I was thinking. Well, you know, I'll just have to go back and start having rehearsals again. No, he talked about <laughs> leading, leading as an introvert and an extrovert at the same time. And I sat there and, and read the article and the, and, the, and the story was related to the study. And uh, the point he makes is this, that it's not one style or the other. If you're an extrovert, if you are a leader and you're an extrovert, there are times you have to like act like an introvert to be a better leader. Yes. But... Recognizing those opportunities can be a bit easier, he claims, for an extrovert. Introverted leaders, too, need to act like extroverts at times. And that struck me as being much harder. If you're an introvert, to throw the E-switch on is just going to be pretty tough. I just just thought that would be difficult. And uh, the thing he wants to encourage everyone to do is that there are a certain set of abilities that lead to success that you can learn elsewhere, like in your past, in sports teams and in music and the like, because that's where you develop skills like communication. I love that skill. (laughs) And, uh, and discipline and focus. So when you're part of a team, oh, oh yeah, in music, part of a choir, they they you know can have similar similar structures as business. And who's at the front? The leader, the choir, the conductor. So he uncovered this study, or at least he talks about this study, by uh, and I'll link that up too if you want. But uh, I'm not going to identify those folks here. But they were looking for qualities of leaders in the arts. And we're figuring out how that can be used in the corporate world. So here's what they did in their study. They sat in on a leadership training course. And here's what happened in the training course. I think this is really cool and kind of creative. They got a group of top leaders of a company that had no musical background or very little. I mean, these guys didn't play in a band on the weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't go home and, you know, play the 12 string, but they were asked 
to take turns conducting a choir. Now, even though everybody in a choir has a beautiful voice and knows how to read music and knows their part, they still need a conductor. They can't, they can't do it on their own. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to set the tempo. Somebody has to get them started. Somebody has to, they, they look to the, the leader to, to direct the tempo if they're lagging and lots of things like that. So these leaders, by ha- putting them in front of the choir, they were put in a completely new situation and told to lead. Completely new situation. They were told to, he writes, to do to be something that they are, leaders, but not in that context. So after they did this, a real conductor gave them feedback on their styles. And so during this, he asked members of the choir to do this. He said, when the, he told the choir, when they felt inspired by the conductor, stand up. And if you don't feel inspired, sit down. So if, if you're in a choir, it's necessary for the conductor to appear decisive and authoritative when you're leading the group. But the executives had no knowledge standing there at the lectern at the podium with the baton in their hand that the choir were the real experts and that to be successful, they had to give some control to them. So as they're standing there at the front, at the podium with a baton, the thing they have to figure out is how much control did they have to give while holding on to the ability to lead and inspire. And that's not really different, is the point they make, than it is in the corporate world. How much control to give to people? How much to say, here, just go figure it out. Go solve this. How long is the rope you give them? And it, that, this is an old theory. This is an old theory called heroic leadership and post-heroic leadership from Mintzberg. All about taking control and, and giving control. These two types of, of leadership are, are deep in the theory. A heroic leader is charismatic, decisive, takes charge. The post-heroic leader is different. He gives the power to the employees, asks for feedback on his ideas, and he's open to learning from the subordinates. Post-heroic and heroic leadership. So which person would you rather, would you rather work for, do you think? Uh, I think that... Um, post-heroic because I mean if anyone can surrender control then that means that they trust you so they trust your and and you know that's what happened with this this um this choir experiment uh, or not experiment but experiment but yeah uh, sure it's an experiment sure it's an experiment so you know you have all these talented singers and you have someone in front of them waving their arms around clearly they're not going to listen to every you know, command that someone that's completely uneducated in choir or conducting has, you know, so that means that those leaders had to then surrender control. They had to open up some sort of, you know, a vulnerability. They had to kind of become humble to, you know, acknowledging that someone else had, had a further expertise, which a lot of the time, yeah, you know, if I 
if I was a, a leader and I needed to hire a graphic designer or someone to code or, or something like that, clearly they would have more expertise than me. That's why I hired them. I can't do it myself. You know, so it, you can't really always have that very authoritative, overbearing kind of micromanagement style. It doesn't work in every setting. No, it doesn't. And, 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 and these days I find there are more times it doesn't work than it does. One of the times it does work than people want it is when the house is on fire. Right. When you're in a crisis. Right. I mean, it could be a real life threatening crisis. It could be a business crisis. And I don't mean somebody just making a mountain out of a molehill. I mean, a real crisis. The, yeah, the, you know, the, the, the safety of a customer, the safety of somebody, the, the well-being of the organization is at risk right now. And more often than not, I would think employees would want that big E guy at the, at the front of the podium with the baton at that moment. Right. I mean, I, I, I definitely see where you would want someone with confidence and knowledge, um, you know, on the subject matter and in, in their leadership um, experience. You know, you, you want that. Um, but, you know, when you think about freedom in a structure, you, you know, what really comes to mind to me is all of these. And I don't know if they have them down south yet, but. Um, they're basically these uh, communal workspaces. So a bunch of different companies will work out of one. Oh, heck yeah. Oh, yeah. They're all over town. Yeah. Work, yard. I think Martin Agency kind of has that style as well, where they have different teams. And there's uh, a plug for them. Good. Okay. Hi, Martin Agency. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I, I just feel that those spaces, even when I walk into them, you know, as a consumer or as a interviewee or, or something like that, I feel much more inspired because there's a bunch of people around me working and they're working hard and no one is standing over them. No one has their thumb on them saying, do this, do that. And inspires a real sense of, um, well, a, a lot of a sense of ownership of your work. I mean, you know, when you feel worthy of working independently and working on your own kind of moving away from that very structured cubicle style, um, you know, location or, or a venue for, for your, for your organization, you, you know, that, that really is kind of, um, I don't know. It gives you more of a, a, a creative space. that's going to, you know, kind of play up experimentation and, and, and that kind of thing. You know, if you can be kind of more of a, a flexible environment, you know, you're going to have, um, Probably a, maybe a more relaxed workflow, yes, but you may be getting some really, really good quality uh, from it. So I, I really think that, you know, I understand the heroic and the post-heroic, um, you know, ideals. Uh, but personally for me, because I'm uh, very type B, I don't even, you know, I'm not type A. So I suppose that makes me sense. Me neither. Absolutely not. Right. So I, I kind of, you know, that's why I like to freelance. That's why I like to kind of, you know, work for my own home sometimes because that gives me more control over my product. Perfect. So I, I do think that, you know, it, it's kind of a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy kind of a tightrope to walk, you know, because you want to, you want to be a good manager and you want to oversee everything and you, and you really you know, you want at the end of the day to make sure that everything's running smoothly. Um, but to kind of open it up and let your, your subordinates, um, 
kind of take the wheel sometimes is it's really nice. And especially, I mean, in my age group that, you know, us younger kids were more and more independent. We don't want to run to our boss's office. I, I don't think anybody actually wants to run to their boss's office and get signed off on things. But, you know, I don't even stop to think sometimes before I, I make a decision because I'm like, Oh, well, I know that my boss would want this. And that's, that, that, and what, what is happening there is you're developing a sense of judgment from right. your experience. And when you have a bad experience and demonstrate bad judgment, you learn from that and that helps you cement a, a better sense of judgment moving forward. And that, that's what growth's all about. Yeah. And I think that even when you screw up, you know, <laughs> that, you know, you correct it or, or someone else corrects you. And that really, I mean, that could kind of solidify a, a bond too that trust can, can grow from, you know, I'm not, you're not always going to be right. And, and your, your leader is not always going to be right. So, you know, there's always going to be room for error, but I do think that watching a bunch of, you know, guys in suits that I've never been to uh, any sort of an orchestra or choir performance, trying to conduct an orchestra is probably, I would love to see a video of this. Yeah, that, yeah, I'd like to find out more about this. So they've also moved on and they're doing additional research of folks in the executive suite. These are the folks we talked about in that episode that are introverts. And they've been struck as to how the different types of leadership, heroic and post-heroic, match up almost exactly with the introverts and the extroverts. And the introverts have a natural tendency to manage the post-heroic style. They're more contemplative. They're empathetic. There it is, the number one trait. And they prefer to listen to others rather than flesh out their own ideas by talking all the time. Mm -hmm. And the extroverts want to be the center of attention. And they can easily dominate a conversation. And what that can leave others with is, well, what I have to contribute, I guess, must not be that important. So all these conductors found out that they needed to incorporate all of this together at the same time to lead the choir. And the authors of the study called this the paradox of leadership, that they managers needed to be authoritative but deferential at the same time. So it's, uh, it's not just about acting differently in different situations, but not straying too far either way into an extreme one way or the other at any given time. That, you know, you, could, you can't learn this in a book. You can't read this in a book. You have to be doing it. There have to be times in your career where you go, well, I could have handled that better. And recognize you could have handled that better. And that's why, you know, mentoring and coaching is so important as we move forward. Yeah. And even, I mean, even when we're on the brink of retirement, you know, we're still going to be making mistakes, but again, that's sort of what makes you better at what you do is making the mistakes, learning from the mistakes and correcting them, you know, for the next time. Um, I really, you know, I, I can't even get the mental image of this experiment out of my head. And I don't think that it's, it's something that I'm, you know, of course it would be amusing. Um, but I also just don't think that there's so many things that you could learn from an experience like that, you know? Yeah. You know, th and there's a, one of thing in the choir and I'm talking about a volunteer choir here. I'm not talking about, a, you know, a choir full of hired guns here that are professionals. The one thing a conductor wants is they want you to look at them. They want you to rehearse your part uh, well enough so that you just can look down at your sheet music 
and, and see the notes and then look, come right back up and look at the conductor. Because if you have your nose down your music, they're going to stop. They're just going to, you know, tap the, tap the podium and, and stop. And sometimes they will, st- if everybody has their heads down, they will stop conducting and see how long it takes for everybody to stop singing. And it's almost like a train wreck. If they stop conducting because everybody's got their head down, all of a sudden it sounds less good. Oh my God, it sounds hard. No, it sounds terrible. And everybody stops. So even though, you know, as a child, I see these folks at the front of an orchestra and say, oh, all he's up there doing waving a baton. No, there's a lot more than that going on. And that's what these guys are learning now in this experiment. Pretty interesting stuff. Wow. So, uh, so Carl Moore is, uh, is doing some research there on that and we'll link him up on the show notes. That was pretty interesting stuff. Hey, Alex, thanks for walking through that with us today. Hey, thanks. Would you ever, would you ever conduct like, would you ever walk into, um, I don't know. I can't really think of anything you're not well-versed in, but would you conduct a choir? Like, <laughs> you want a list? If uh, you didn't know, I mean, if you didn't know anything about what you do, would you have the balls to do it? I, I don't, I, uh, I don't read music well enough to do it. There are times in, in the choir that, that I sang with, there were times when we'd have small groups like to sing an introit or uh, what we called an extroit, <laughs> you know, out out in the uh, narthex outside of the sanctuary. And when we were there, I've, I've conducted there before because everybody's close and the piece is very short and it's something we know. So I would just like blow the pitch pipe and and, and kick them off and make sure we wrapped at the same time, you know, on the right chord. So, you know, I could do that much, but a longer piece. Oh, no, absolutely not. Absolutely I don't think, not. I don't, it's just I not within reach. You know, I I don't think I could do it. I would try. I would fail. I would think it was really fun at the time, though. And what I like hearing is is when they stop you, you know, you're, you're romping through the middle of the piece. Even it's like, uh, oh, my gosh, I've sung uh, Handel's Messiah, you know, in the Hallelujah Chorus and all that. And you're romping through this, and it just feels so good. As I've said before, there's something about having your body resonate with another body, you know, when you're singing like that. And you're romping through it, and all of a sudden they're tapping, and they go, no, no, no. And they're making artistic choices right there. I want this a little louder here. I want this fortissimo here. And I want, don't slow down. When we sing this word here, you know, don't slow down. You know, just, they want to make sure they're talking about every vowel and every consonant. And, you know, let's not do this on the two. Let's do this on the, on the, on the two and. And they're, they're just making choices. So when I, when I include that as to what's going up on at the podium, I'm going like, you know, no, that's well out of reach. And I have so much respect for everybody that's done that. All right, so everybody go run run to your church and join the choir. Your, your <laughs> minister of music would love you, and you know you'll learn something. You'll go, oh, now I know what they were talking about. No, I think you know it's important to step outside your comfort zone. I, I do. That's encourage- where growth happens. Thank you so yeah, much. I do encourage everyone to uh, to try to do so, even if it's not conducting a choir. You know, you should definitely do something that you wouldn't typically do, or that makes you feel uncomfortable, or you feel you know uh, subpar at. You know, every once in a while, just. Just so that you're not always, uh, you know, an, an extremely great leader. Sometimes you have to fail. Yeah, and, and learn from it as well. Well said. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to the Labrador Leadership Podcast with Bob Nolly. That's me. And Alex Massa. That's her. That's, that's me. That's her. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to the Labrador Leadership Podcast. For the sake of all the special people in your life that deserve you to be the best leader you can be. Connect with us on our website at labradorleadership.com, on Facebook at Labrador Leadership, and on Twitter at Lab Leadership. Now, here's a final thought from Bob. Carl Moore writes, an extroverted leader may be inspiring, but needs to be careful not to talk too much at the expense of listening to the people around them. Okay, be good to each other. We'll see you next time. Bye.